a lot of times people use tactics to try to get you off your game. They don't, it's not even like they want to achieve what they're, what they're demanding, but they use it tactically to throw you off, to get you triggered, to get you emotional, to get you not listening, to get you not being creative, all the things that you want to do well in a negotiation. Like they actually do it to try to get the negotiating advantage on you that is way beyond that particular issue. So if you let them do that, you lose. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. Uh, today is a solo cast, and if you've been following, as many of you have, um, the uh, solo casts uh, recently, I've been going through some of the major points from my authentic negotiating book um, that was published uh, three years ago and uh, fortunately became an on bestseller, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback on, and I wanted to give you that content, or you know, at least a summary of some of that content uh, through the podcast here. In case you hadn't uh, had an opportunity to read the book, if you want, if you go back, I started that on the uh, November twentieth uh, episode that was released on November twentieth, where we talked about uh, clarity, detachment, and equilibrium, which is my fundamental framework uh, to be a great negotiator. Uh, on later ones, we talked about the top six reasons negotiations fail, the top five steps to becoming a great negotiator. And um, so, you know, if, if you want to go back and check out a few of those, I think three out of the last podcasts were on the book. Um, uh, and we're up to now what is covered in Chapter 5 of uh, Authentic Negotiating, uh, which is inauthentic negotiating techniques and how to handle them. So many of you have heard me say that uh, I'm not a fan of, actually, I'm not a fan on uh, focusing first on negotiating techniques, even the good ones, because the deeper inner work that I talk about in terms of clarity, detachment, and equilibrium, and not coming into a, a negotiation from a place of fear or ego or upset or anger or scarcity, or all those things is way, way more important than even the good uh, negotiating tactics and techniques that you may learn. So, you know, and then the good ones you want to layer on top of that deeper work you want to do because no tactical technique is going to help you if you go into a, into a negotiation from a place of desperation, for example. Um, but those, you know, you might add, you should, should learn them and add them on later, the good tactics. But there's so many inauthentic tactics in, out there that uh, you don't want to be doing because you're going to lose your credibility. They don't work with great negotiators. I mean, they may work with somebody who's, you know, not sophisticated, but, you know, we all, listen, uh, do you want to be that kind of person? You get a reputation out there. It's not the way you want to do business. And as you go up the chain, uh, they're not going to work with anybody who's a good negotiator. Uh, in fact, those of us who negotiate for a living, you know, can see those a mile away, can call them out and know how to deal with them. So that's really what I want to spend time on here. I'm not going to spend time on the inauthentic negotiating tactics for, for you to learn how to use them, but I want you to learn how to, because other people are going to use them at times, you know, um, uh, against you or in a negotiation with you because either they're, you know, not great people. And frankly, if you really determine that, 
that you shouldn't be doing a deal with them. Or frankly, they might be actually, you know, decent people and they could be good business partners or joint venture partners, strategic alliance partners, wherever it is. Um, but they've been trained poorly in negotiating. And, you, you know, you want to try to distinguish that and maybe not hold them against it uh, totally, but you need to know how to deal with those situations. Or you might be in a situation where you're forced to be in a negotiation with a tough party on the other side. Maybe it's regarding a dispute and somebody you're never going to do business with again. And they use some of these tactics and you need to learn how to deal with them. So let's identify some of them. Now, there's a huge um, uh, list that I have on my website um, where, you know, I, I, when I do talks, sometimes I scroll through screens and screens of these things because it's amazing how many of these are out there. But we take some examples in the book and, you know, and I'll talk about some of those and give you some ideas on, on how to handle those individually and then some thoughts uh, basically on how to handle any authentic negotiating uh, or inauthentic negotiating uh, technique, um, sort of some blanket rules and, and approaches that you can um, that you can take. So, what, what are some of them? So there's something that uh, we call the empty promise, which is basically where somebody, you know, promises something that they know they're not going to fulfill in the end. A classic example, before due diligence, somebody comes in and offers you, let's say you're looking to sell your company, for example, and they offer you a much higher number than um, the, uh, the number that everybody else is offering. And you're like, wow, that sounds great. But they may be going into that knowing that they're then going to go through a due diligence process and they're going to find issues with your company, with your financials, with your people, with, you know, missing signed contracts, whatever it is. And they know they're going to, they're going to knock that price down. Um, whereas, you know, other people may be offering a more realistic uh, price. So you got to watch out for that. That's an example of it. The, the, another example where it happens often on the other way is when a contractor comes in and underbids everybody, right? You see this all the time, whether it's commercial, you know, construction or the, whether it's uh, renovating your home. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody underbids the job. Now, some people, some of those guys underbid the job because they're just not great business people and they don't anticipate everything that's involved. That certainly happens, sort of, you know, honest mistakes, poor business. But there are some who underbid the job knowing that they're going to be asking you for more money and have you in a leverage position because, you know, they're in the middle of the job and you don't want to have to go change contractors. And they're going to say, you know, oh, there's all these unexpected things, you know, that came up, which by the way, can happen in, you know, in, in contracting for real. I remember uh, when I bought a house up uh, on Lake Joseph, uh, we went to put in a fireplace and it turned out that the whole back wall of the house was brought it out because there was no flashing on the decks and that was real. Um, but, you know, sometimes, the, uh, you know, and, and the contractor deserved to be paid more for that because there was truly more work. But sometimes they'll find stuff, make, make stuff up or just, uh, you know, go in knowing that they're going to try to get you later. And that's all in that context of empty promises. Um, so, you know, there's a question on how you deal with that, right? Well, the first thing is you got to stay calm. You have to connect to that CDE that I talk about in the, in the prior podcast and in the book, the clarity, detachment, and equilibrium. Uh, because if you get upset, angry, thrown off, et cetera, um, and by the way, you can do that when you hear about it, but don't go into the negotiation. Get yourself recentered in a place where you're not triggered and you can you know, look at it objectively and see whether they do that all along and then, you know, and then, and then make a decision on what you want to do on that, right? And by the way, if you see it up front, you know, you want to test whether it's an empty promise um, up front. If somebody comes in much higher in the buying the business scenario or much lower in the contractor scenario, you want to start asking questions on why they're, they're so different than other people and try to determine, you know, what, what the due diligence process is going to be or what the change order process is going to be if they, if they find the things that are, um, are different. Um, 
Another tactic is called the big fish. And that's where, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, talk, uh, talked about a lot of times where you have a difference in size or scale, a scope uh, of a of one uh, party in the negotiation, uh, you know, to the other. Um, so let's say, you know, you have an innovative entrepreneur has come up with a great product and goes into a big company, um, uh, you know, to uh, to try to do a deal with them on it. Well, then, um, you know, the, the company may make an offer that is, um, well, you know, that's not fair, let's say, for, for what you're offering. And, you know, the, the uh, uh, either stated or sometimes implied threat is, listen, you know, we're, we're a big fish. We can figure this out on our own. We can, we can crush you in the marketplace. So, you know, you better take what we're going to give you or else uh, you'll end up with nothing. Um, so, you know, th- this, um, uh, it's an intimidation tactic. Um, I mean, there's some reality in some situations, but usually there are other big players or other players in the space. Um, you know, you may not be able to compete with that on your own, but there are other people to potentially do deals with. And frankly, there are situations where, you know, people have turned down those kind of big deals uh, in, especially in the tech industry and things like that, and gone on to grow, you know, grow significant uh, companies. Now, that's not the everyday case, but it does happen. So, um, you know, what I always say is, listen, remember, even when you're the small fish, you have leverage. Um, now, why do I say that? You know, does it mean you have huge leverage? No, but there's a fundamental concept that I always talk about, and that is nobody has no leverage. Some people will say, you know, I'm small, they're huge, I have no leverage. It's never the case. Why? Because you're there, you're at the table. If they're talking to you, they want to do something with you. You have some leverage. Again, it might be not be the hugest leverage in the world, but it's never no leverage. You wouldn't be if you had no leverage, you wouldn't be at the table. They wouldn't be interested. So keep in mind that you always have, you know, that you always have leverage. And um, and you want to uh, stay in that composition. You want to make the case, you know, for why you have value, and you want to get that clarity that I talk about in the CDE process and clarity, detachment, and equilibrium. The first big thing is, is clarity, right? I've talked about this in the past, and you need to get clarity on exactly. It's so much more even important in that situation where you got that big fish on exactly what's acceptable to you and not, because one of the biggest leverage points and one of the biggest points that actually make you makes you more attractive to these big bigger companies is. If if you're actually very clear and firm uh, from a place of clarity, not rigidity, right? From a place of clarity on what's acceptable to you or not. And you're willing to walk away, you know, from that calm, clear place as opposed from upset anger and ego. So uh, that's the big fish. The next one is what we call nibbling. And nibbling is uh, the situation where there's always another ass. So like you think you've negotiated out all of the terms of the deal and suddenly they come up with three new things. And then there's, you're getting closer to closing and there's another two items, there's another one item. And they haven't put all the cards on the table purposely because they, they, they want you to trade things off thinking that you're going to get the deal done and then ask for more, you know, uh, later. And, and it's called nibbling because it's like they do it in little, little bites, little bites, little bites, a little extra. And it could drive, you know, and it could drive you crazy. And, um, and, and frankly, sometimes it's very malicious. Um, and, you know, and, and sometimes it's do, things do come up. And if it's, you know, a change here or there and they justify it properly, that's probably not nibbling. But there are people who just do that consistently. And you could tell, you know, they just, they're just pushing for every little additional thing they can get. And they didn't ask for it up front because they wanted you to make the trade offs up front and give up what you. Um, want or what you were willing to give up in exchange for other things before they even ask for the additional things so that they can then try to, uh, you know, um, lock in your position. Um, And, you know, and that's tough, right? 
So, you know, one of the things when you get a sense that somebody is nibbling is that you want to um, basically put it on the line. I mean, you know, you don't necessarily, it's not necessarily useful to accuse them of nibbling, but you can say, listen, you know, you have, we, we negotiated out what we thought were all the terms. You've now put two new terms on the table. Um, before we discuss these, I need to know that this could be nothing else after this. I need to know that this is the entire universe of everything you want because we can't do this, you know, in piecemeal. And then you address those items. Now, it's easy to get upset about that and just look to reject them because you don't think it's fair. But you look at it objectively. You know, if those were things that in your clarity process, if you did that work that I always ask you to do, you um, would have given on anyway. Well, then maybe you let go, you know, of the upset around nibbling and you say, hey, listen, what's the difference? I would, I was willing to do this anyway. Or, you know, what you may do is ask for, you know, a concession from them. Listen, this is, we negotiated these 12 things on each side and but we had a deal. You come back with these two new things, you know, we'll consider those, but we need this additional thing and we need to change that, uh, you know, and do a, do a trade off there. Um, so, um, you know, but, but, but again, the thing is to stay in that calm place, to evaluate whether it's something that you were willing to give anyway and not let the tactic uh, throw you off. Um, the next one is uh, something called quivering quill, and it's um, akin to nibbling in that it is when somebody asks for something additional after you thought the negotiation was done. But when we call it quivering quill, it's uh, like nibbling is a little here, a little here, again, again, again. Quivering quill is is this idea of it's at the closing table. So it goes back to the old term of a quill, which is what you used to sign with, right? The uh, the the uh, old uh, what we now you know use pens. And, you know, you're, you're at the signing table and the other side says, uh, hey, uh, not going to close the deal unless we get this one last concession. And the reason it's quibbling quill is because, you know, you're nervous, you want to get the deal done. You're at the, the moment, there's stress. And now they're, they're claiming, you know, in a strongest case scenario, that they're going to back out unless you agree to this one additional concession. Well, again, you know, you're in that same position. That one can be even more frustrating and easy to, you know, get you angered. And listen, you want to take into account, depending upon what kind of deal you're, you're doing, whether you want to do business with a person who does that to you, right? And sometimes, frankly, I, I mean, this is one that I've definitely uh, called out at times, and this is going to relate to an overall piece of advice I'm going to give you on all these tactics, you know, where I've said, listen, you know, I mean, the, this last minute concession stuff doesn't work for me. Uh, it doesn't work for my client. And, um, you know, it just, if this is the way you're going to be, I don't know, you know, if we want to be in business with you, that's one approach, but listen, you may need to deal, want to deal. You may otherwise think it's, you know, it's, it's a good partner for other reasons. You may be in a negotiation that you don't have a lot of you know options on whatever the reasons you may want to stay in there. In which case, um, again, you, you want to take that step back, look at what that final request was, look at it against your clarity process on the, all the objectives you got clear on and see whether it's beyond what you should agree to and not. If it's not, then, you know, just because they brought it up that way, maybe it's still okay to agree. You can also ask for a, you know, corresponding concession or compromise on it. There's a million things you can do there. But again, don't let it throw you off. I mean, a lot of these things are done to try to throw you off. And the, and the best thing you can do is not get thrown off. Um, then the next one is limited authority. That comes up a lot. You know, I, I don't have the authority to make the decision. I got to go up to the board, to my boss, to somebody and you know uh, uh, from a tactical point of view um a lot of the trainings will tell you i'll try to determine um you know the authority of somebody in advance and if they have limited authority insist on having the um you know the person with authority in the room from day one and you know what that's um 
decent advice at times, but a lot of times you can't do that and you, you can't apply a blanket uh, you know, standard. There are a lot of companies, for example, large companies where you can't get, it's not the way they work, right? You know, they have lower level people handle negotiations up to a certain point, And then there are certain issues that get elevated. And the, you know, the uh, boss or the boss's boss, whoever it is, is not going to sit in the room with you and negotiate the, the, the 25 things that you were able to do with the junior person. They're going to come in for the two or three or five things uh, that, you know, need to be negotiated later. So it's not necessarily uh, the concept of limited authority might be accurate. It actually might be authentic. But there are times when people use it as an excuse, right? In other words, they don't want to take the heat of saying no in the room, so they blame a supposed limited, you know, um, other authority, which may or may not exist even, or maybe the person exists, but they don't really need their approval. Um, and, uh, you know, or they blame some fictitious board or whatever it is, or, you know, I don't have the authority to go beyond my budget, so I can only pay you this. Um, and, and while some of those times may be true, others may be not. And frankly, their limited authority shouldn't affect you. In other words, um, if they say on the budget uh, example, well, either the deal's going to work for you or not. If they don't have the budget for it, they're not the client. They're not the, 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 the partner to do the deal for you. Uh, if you haven't hit, you know, you're not a penny less than. Go back to that uh, talk that I gave in the Clarity Pod, uh, you know, uh, price. So, um, you know, see, so you just don't want to engage these games. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, because the problem with the, the 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 tactic and counter tactic game is that it gets it does get manipulative. It does get inauthentic. Um, it's it, you know it becomes time consuming. Um, you you're not start especially with any kind of ongoing relationship, which a lot of business negotiations are. You know, business partnerships, uh, uh, joint ventures, strategic alliance. You know, any kind of contract deal, distribution, marketing, you name it, affiliate deal. Those are all ongoing relationships. And if you and if you get into this game playing back and forth up front, um, you know, I always say a negotiation is only part, it's only the start or the continuation of a relationship. And the relationship's more important than the negotiation. And if you leave a bad taste in someone's mouth, that's not a great way to start. So so what you want to do is you know, stay in that that place, do some of the things I talked about. And there are two general things that you can do on any tactic, whether it's these four or five I talked about or the hundred others um, that I list on uh, on my uh, in my resources page on coreycuffer.com. Um, you know, there's two, you know, fundamental things you can do on any tactic. Um, the first one is to, like I said, stay calm, just not let it affect you. A lot of times people use tactics to try to get you off your game. They don't, it's not even like they want to achieve what they're, what they're demanding, but they use it tactically to throw you off, to get you triggered, to get you emotional, to get you not listening, to get you not being creative, all the things that you want to do well in a negotiation. Like they actually do it to try to get the negotiating advantage on you that is way beyond that particular issue. So if you let them do that, you lose essentially, right? Or, you know, you, you're not going to do as well. So you want to, um, so you want to make sure that you don't, you don't do that. So that's, that's the one I've been alluding to a lot and really, um, you know, do, do that prep and, and don't, um, and don't let, let, let them do that. So the other one though, which is a really interesting way to counteract any of these is to name it, is to actually name the tactic, you know, what, uh, and, and by the way, here's the key thing. Don't name it out of upset, anger, or whatever, or gotcha, because then they've got you. They know they've got they, they've they've affected you. But you know, I sort of sometimes will give a little chuckle 
right? Because I know, and I'll say, hey, you guys trying to play good cop, bad cop on me, you know? Or, ah, the limited authority gambit. I love it. You know, so just, you know, you let them know that you know what they're doing, that it's not affecting you, not from a place of upset, but just to sort of be bemused by it. That works a lot of times because they don't know what to do when you've sort of called them out in a funny way. Because basically, you basically said, hey, I'm on to you. I know what you're doing. Come on, let's let's get real. Right. And that works uh, a lot of times. A couple other things I want to talk about here before we finish uh, this little uh, uh, solo cast talking about, uh, you know, the inauthentic um, negotiating uh, techniques. And uh, and I might have mentioned one of these in, in a prior podcast, but it's worth uh, repeating it if I did, which is this conversation of, of tells. I'm trying to read people. And uh, I, I don't have any problem with that. It's not what I teach. I actually had an ep- a prior episode um, on with a body language expert, um, uh, Greg Williams. Um, and I don't have the episode number in front of me, but you can look it up where he, he's a negotiating guy who talks a lot about uh, reading body language and things like that. And, it, and that could be useful if you want to learn that. I tend to sort of, frankly, trust my intuitive instinct by being really, really present and by listening and by watching. And I get uh, intuitive feelings, but there are tactics, techniques to learn how to do that stuff. I have no problem with those. Um, but what I do, and I mentioned it on that episode, um, uh, what I do have an issue with is the trainings that try to teach you how not to give off a tell, right? Don't look up here because it means this. Don't, and if you're in a negotiation trying to focus on what not to do with your body, with your, uh, you know, with your um, face, with your, I mean, there's microfacial expressions that you can't control, you're in trouble. All right, already. You know what you need to do is go, go do the inner work to get out of that place of fear, scarcity, you know, upset, whatever. So, um, you know, don't worry about uh, about uh, trying to mask your tells. Do the inner work to get to not have tells that are showing that you're in fear or or um, upset. And the final thing I want to talk about here that I talk about in that chapter in the book is about this concept of mirroring. Now, mirroring means a lot of things. So you don't want to uh, you don't want to confuse what I'm saying. Um, you know, uh, so like, for example, um, there's a negotiating uh, guy who I, who I know has uh, got an uh, interesting book, more on the tactical side, but but uh, but he's uh, actually one of the people where I like, you know, he, he's talking about good tactical stuff, Chris Voss, um, who has a book called Never Split the Difference. And, um, you know, what Chris, when Chris says mirroring, he's talking about the concept of the mirroring where you um, repeat the last few words of somebody's sentence. They say something and then you repeat it back to them because that shows that you've heard them and you're listening and you've acknowledged them. Um, so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this body mirroring concept that some of the um, uh, negotiating courses teach where this this concept of to build rapport, you know, if the other person leans in, you should lean in. If they cross their legs this way, you should mirror them and cross their legs. So if they cross their right leg over their left, you would mirror them by crossing your left over your right, so you'd be in the same position. Um, I'm actually, a, a, for me, that that's totally unauthentic uh, um, as a tactic, right? Because it, what happens is when you see people who've been trained in these things, and it's kind of actually funny to somebody, to me, who negotiates that way, because you can tell when they're doing it because they're thinking about it. So there's this hesitation moment between when they, uh, you know, when they, oh, this person, look, they lean back and cross their legs. I should lean back across my legs, right? It just doesn't feel natural. Now, here's the truth. This is the funny part. The funny part is if actually you just worked on really being present and listening and being connected to the other person, you'll naturally mirror them in that way. Like it's, it's, it's a natural thing when it was, if you're really connected with somebody in, in a conversation, really listening, if they lean in, you'll probably lean in. But the problem is when you do it tactically, it's inauthentic. And that's an inauthentic approach. And 
And uh, I've watched, you know, when I see other people do that, right, I can call it out. I know what they're doing. I know what courses they took to tell them to do that. And, um, you know, and, and most of the time I'm not going to, um, you know, call it out because there's no benefit in it. They're not trying to, you know, it's not like calling out a, uh, the good cop, bad cop or the limited authority or, you know, the, the nibbling thing um, because, uh, you know, they, they're not, um, you know, they're actually trying because those, those courses try to teach you that, oh, that's the way you help build rapport. So they're actually probably coming from a positive place trying to do it. Um, and even if they're not, what's the harm? But, you know, but, but, but you, you want to be aware of that if somebody's doing that, because uh, that just shows you that they're trying to build rapport with you, but they're doing it from an inauthentic place. So, those are some of the uh, inauthentic techniques uh, and, you know, and you want to know them uh, and learn some of the other ones enough because you'll come across them. Uh, unfortunately, um, there's still, uh, you know, bad negotiators out there. And frankly, there's still a number of trainings out there that teach some of this stuff. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, um, there was an article, I won't say which publication it was on online, one of the major business publications. And there was a, there was an article there. And then um, they, they, they actually had like five tips to be a great negotiator or something like that. And the, and the first one was, uh, I forget what they called it. Uh, I wish I remember because they had a name for it that was, uh, and I've talked about it before. I'm just drawing a blank on what the name of this, uh, you know, tactic was, but it was just like, it was so bad. You know, they basically said that you should, um, no matter what somebody offers you, right? They're going to buy your company for X. They're going to, you know, price you goods at X. They're going to charge you X for distribution, whatever it is, right? They throw out a number that you need to, be shocked. You need to like, never, like no matter what the number is, you, you make believe you're shocked. Like, you know, that you're, you know, you're, you're amazed. Like it can't be that high. And, you know, it, it just, it actually pains me. It really just pains me when I see this kind of advice in major publications, because, you know, that is so, so inauthentic. Right. And, you know, if, if you think any good negotiator can't read when you're pulling a tactic like that, uh, you lose credibility. That's what, you know, you lose credibility, you lose trust. And again, in many business negotiations, they are the start of a new relationship or the continuation of an existing relationship. And the last thing you want to do is lose trust and credibility by pulling some sort of crazy, you know, tactic that somebody has taught you in some course or a um, book or magazine. Um, so with that, uh, I appreciate all uh, of you listening. If you have any questions on this stuff, def definitely listen, you know, uh, reach out. Um, you know, I'd love you to, um, uh, when we post the episodes of the podcast, we do social media posts with them. You can, you know, you can hit me up on, uh, on LinkedIn, or Facebook or Twitter. Um, and, you know, definitely reach out with questions. We'd love to hear your input and comments and, uh, would appreciate you, uh, rating the, the, the podcast. Uh, that would be, that would be amazing. I appreciate all the listeners. Uh, and until, uh, until next time, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for feeling deals listeners for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. Well, it's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.